Welcome back to That Rugby Podcast. You are joined by myself and Husey, virtual g'day, g'day. again, um, yep. just for this week, and then we'll be back. Well, I'm, I'm in the office. I'm, in, I'm working hard in the yep. office. Some of us... You know. I don't have an office at the moment, so I <laughs> yeah uh, have of, to be virtual. Some of us are moving offices, so aren't in the city, and we're not going to make Husey travel an hour and just to see my ugly mug in person. So fair enough, I felt. Um, so we'll do yeah. it virtually, back in person next time. But there was some international rugby, and both of our teams got wins. There was how good? How yes, good? Look. Exciting starting off, times. why don't know? <laughs> Revenge to it, starting out on a positive note. Uh, yeah, well, for you at least, I think uh, I, I set myself up with my expectations, obviously. Um, we talked about the last one. I said, and some could mm-hmm. say I predicted it because I said it wasn't good. I don't think we were going to win by as much as some of us are expecting. Did I expect the yep. All Blacks versus Japan to be that close? No, no, I definitely did not. Um it's tough. It's a tough. I'd love to hear your opinion. I don't know if you saw the game, but I'd love to hear your opinion. I saw bits of the game. I, I saw it was particularly the end of the game. Yep. Um, yeah. Look, I, there was a, it was it was every chance it looked like that the All Blacks could lose that game, really. And um, the inflated scoreline, and I think it's pretty fair to call it an inflated s- scoreline with that uh, superfluous three pointer at the end from Moonga. <laughs> uh, I think doesn't do justice to. Uh, how well the Japanese played, uh, really, and I think that's sort of what it comes down to is that Japan played really well. That's the, that's the main takeaway that I had is that Japan is on an upswing. Yeah, and I that's a good take, and that's that's what I think is. So many people are going to get taken away and get caught up in the All Blacks were bad that they're taking an unfair, you know, expectation away from this game that I think. The Japanese were really good. Now, there was a moment there. It was like, I think it was about 21-19 to 3. And mm. this was before Japan had scored their first try, where I kind of went, we, we made a couple of other big breaks and just about scored and didn't. And I mm. think if we had scored there, we would have run away with the game. Then they scored. And it was that, you know, that Japanese fight where if you don't put this team away, they will, yeah. they will sneak up and surprise you. So I think... If, to me, as an All Blacks fan, I actually really enjoyed the game because what Jap- Japan do really well is they defend very similar to England. And it actually, it was, I enjoyed the game, but I didn't enjoy the game. And it gave me PTSD purely because it made me remember that semi final against England and how they defended us. It's up in your face, yep. it's very quick. They're, South Africans do it, but they do it with like their shooters or their nines and they do a different, slightly different defensive style. Japan was very much what I expect. Um, we're going to see from England. And I think it was a good learning curve. I think there was the All Blacks actually will take more from that game than if they'd pumped them by 50 points. Uh, we we yep. learnt yet again how to play with 14 men in the bin. Uh, we learnt Roger Tuivasa-Shek is more than capable at this level. Uh, and, and just a couple other points. very good. Yeah, there was a couple other points like that that I think we took away. We, we learnt, and we already knew this, that Sam Kane, although may not be the complete package of a rugby player is one hard motherfucker because can play on with a broken cheekbone or whatever he did, fractured cheekbone for the last 10 minutes to make sure we secured victory. So there were lots of things I think we learnt. Uh, but again, it was there was there was a lot of heightened where I was like, I got nervous. I was nervous there. But I, yeah. but I think we also have to remember that this was the 10th best team in the world. This isn't like Japan isn't no more in Italy. This is Japan are there and they've, they've knocked over some big teams. Yeah. Eventually they will knock over the All Blacks. It's, it's a matter of when, not if anymore, I feel. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, look, I think it's a a great uh, sort of example, like the rise of Japan and Argentina. We're seeing the growth of international rugby teams into competitive forces, becoming just better and better teams as the players get better and better, as the the coaching gets better and better at those levels. And I guess that's um, Particularly frustrating as a Wallabies fan, um, I saw a comment on uh, one of our clips from last week's podcast where you and I were sort of going on about the revenge tour and someone commented on there, um, I think it's just that you guys are struggling with the fact that the Northern Hemisphere teams are better than the Southern Hemisphere teams like you guys and it's going to get even worse when South Africa joins the Six six Nations. And I, I agree with that comment, but what I, I sort of half agree because what I think it is is that Talent-wise, I don't think the Northern Hemisphere teams are better. I think their parity, um, there's parity in the skill levels there, particularly for the All Blacks, where you look across the field and everyone's an amazing player. Um, but even the Wallabies, you look at the talent levels of the individual players, and it's amazing. However, it's what I think it is is it's the it's the coaching, the discipline, and the effort where the Northern Hemisphere teams have got it, which is very frustrating to think like we've got these great players, but our our at the moment our coaching and our discipline isn't as good as those Northern Hemisphere teams. And I think Japan is a fantastic example of looking what great coaching and discipline, how competitive that can make you against a tremendously talented team. And it goes back to the old adage, you know, it's better to be a champion team than a team of champions. 100%. And and I love that you touched on coaching because I think right now I look at it and I go, I think the Japanese coaching staff is the best in the world. When you've got uh, Jamie Joseph, linking with Tony Brown and Tony Brown everyone knows what Tony Brown can bring and do to a team and then you've even added they've added John Mitchell you know with World Cup experience back in 2003 for the All Blacks so I just look around and I go man there are some there are that's a coaching staff and a half and that'll be really interesting when they come up to England and I know Jamie Joseph went out and said you know this was a good game but uh, realistically our test is going to be against England when we come up against a better team and uh, did that strike a little knife into my heart yeah it did for coming from a New Zealander and Jamie Joseph but uh, mm-hmm. I mean he's not 100% wrong there but uh, I hope I hope he gets proven wrong and the Japanese go over and win and beat the English but yeah it was a it was a bit of a wake-up call I think for the world of rugby and I think what it was it was a wake-up call but it was a perfectly timed wake-up call because we, we, we discussed it on this, obviously, this podcast a lot. The biggest competitor to rugby is rugby league, you know, two very yeah. similar sports. Right now, rugby league's got their World Cup going on where we've seen nothing but absolute slaughter, you know, 90 to 10 score lines. And we just had our first team, best, well, best team in the world, play our 10th best and win by seven, seven points, four points realistically. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go... That was, that was a great – for all the poor advertisements, rugby, that was a great advertisement of rugby. The game was fantastic. The the running rugby there, the ref didn't control the game, I don't think. If anything, the Japanese gave away like double as many penalties. So yeah. you sit there and you go, that was ju- it was just a great advertisement for rugby. As an All Blacks fan, it, obviously it hurts not to smash 100%. them, but it was a great advertisement for rugby. Exactly right. And I think it's a – you know – as much as Rugby League is competitive to the Rugby World Cup, we're seeing those results in the Rugby League World Cup. And I see a lot of people asking, well, why do we even bother having the Rugby League World Cup? It's because then eventually you get the results like what we're getting now. By including those smaller nations, they will get better. They need the representation. They need the they need the 
uh, experience to to improve and get onto the bigger stage. Um, and I'm just looking at the the pools for the for the Rugby World Cup, and yeah, this Pool D is going to be incredible. England, Japan, and Argentina in there, along with Samoa and Chile. Like that's an England, Japan, Argentina. Pool. That's, yeah. And then Pool B, South Africa, Ireland, and Scotland. I mean, it's a good transition to get into the Wallabies and Scotland game. But that's going to be a tough pool as well, along with Tonga and Romania. Pool A, New Zealand, France, Italy, Uruguay, and Namibia. And then Pool C, Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia. And then it says final qualifier winner, though I think that's the US at this stage. Is that right? Uh, I don't think it's, it hasn't finished yet. Out yet. Yeah, it hasn't finished yet. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, so that's again another another pool. I feel like Australia always seems to end up in the same pool as Wales. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you do love a pool. Let's of Wales. look. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's look at the Wallabies Scotland game now. Um, I guess yeah. I watched uh, the. I saw live the end of this game and the miss kick uh, from Kinghorn to keep the Wallabies um, in front. Um, yeah, really, I guess this is a tough one. It's a, it's a tough one to dissect, but we, I said it last week. Like, sort of you call, called the, how the New Zealand-Japan game would go. I pretty pretty call, much called how this game is going to be low-scoring, gritty, tough, and miserable, much like Scotland and the weather <laughs> there. And it was, really. It was a tough, gritty game. I liked some of the open, expansive play I saw from the Wallabies early, particularly from Kellaway yep. um, and Tate McDermott. Um, and I think... You know, we saw the whole rugby championship. We didn't really see Tate McDermott at all. It was the Bernard Foley, Jake Gordon show. But I think Tate McDermott sort of had a bit of a chip on his shoulder and uh, came out and showed why he should be in the conversation for the Wallabies number nine uh, going into the World Cup. Uh, although Nick White had a brilliant um, kick to end the game where uh, he drop kick bounced out of bound right between a couple of Scottish players. Excellent play, but... I love Jake Gordon, don't get me wrong, and he's played fantastically for the Wallabies this year, but I feel like he's number three. I think it's a tight three between McDermott, White, and, and Gordon, so if there's any injuries, you've got serviceable players to fill in there, but Tate McDermott just provides that youth and energy out of the position that, uh, it's not, maybe not that they that Nick White or Jake Gordon lack, but it's just he has more of it. He's got more of that. Yep amplified uh, energy and if you're going to have an experienced 10 it's good to have sort of a live wire nine i think like you need i feel like your nine and ten a useful and experienced pairing is a really great option to have um but yeah i love what i saw and of andrew Callaway. i feel like he's really solidifying himself as one of the australian wingers um and you're yeah, going into next year when we get Corabetti back will be great and that that's always that was going to be a that was a talk point going into this game is Scotland without some of their best players you know Hogg obviously uh because they're in their there's the English uh rugby uh season going on now they were saying how um he played for uh Exeter or something during the week uh so that's why he's not available here Australia's without a couple of their probably their top two players, I would argue, in Karevi and Korobetti. Yeah. So I feel like there's, you know, both both sides undermanned here. Um, I love what I saw out of our locks in Nick Frost and Caden Neville as well, particularly Frost. And I saw that you rated him quite highly as well in your uh, MVP uh, ladder as well. Where I think we were sort of surprisingly let down a bit was um, Hunter Paisami, I think, had a very average game, which is... Not something we usually say about him, but uh, yeah, I, that was 
yeah, I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about our uh, our centers and where we're going when we don't have uh, Karevi available. But I guess uh, overall, look, a win's a win. Um, and I saw uh, I saw an article that said, you know, if we're going to scrutinize Dave Rennie for um, having a terrible win loss record, we should give the wins as much weight as the losses. Like if we if he's only narrow if he's getting these narrow losses, but that we're all saying, oh well, there's still losses, no moral victories. Well then. He, if he's got a victory here, he's got a victory. The team's earned it. And look, we've got a, a, a new segment here. And I guess it's, a, it's, again, a good transition to go into that segment. We've got um, Husey's Star of the Week. Husey's uh, Star this of the Week. week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my star this week is uh, the indefatigable number 10 for the Wallabies, Bernard Foley. Right, And I think, it's, I think the matchup here against Blair Kinghorn is, is an excellent highlight uh, for why I've got Foley as my player of the week. Now, Kinghorn was everywhere for Scotland, right? Setting up tries, scoring a try himself and everything like that, being great number 10, but he couldn't make his kicks. Foley, he he made, I believe I saw a mistake for uh, the Wallabies where he was sort of threw a ball into his own leg when he was under pressure, but he made his kicks, he was solid, he did his job, and that's the important thing at the end of the day, right? If Kinghorn, I believe missed two kicks either of those kicks made scotland wins it's as simple as that and that's what you need out of uh your tenants you need to be you need to be consistent right so kinghorn had highs and he had lows in this game bernard foley he had highs and lows as well but they were much more on a center line he was much more consistent throughout the game and that's why i'm highlighting foley here and now you might be thinking that's a bit weird to have just someone who was consistent as your star player. But that's what you need. That's what got the Wallabies the win at the end of the day was Foley making all of his kicks, right? Yep. You can you could talk about, you know, Callaway doing his fancy kick down the sideline, chasing the ball, putting in the effort. You can talk about James Slipper getting that great try. That was amazing. Well, and Nick Frost doing the offload. But at the end of the day, if Bernard Foley doesn't make his kicks, if he misses one kick, Wallabies don't win. And that's what... A winning team does is they make their kicks in the game that the Wallabies beat the Springbok this year. What happened in that game? Springbok missed a bunch of kicks. Yep. The Wallabies made theirs. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day is when you have points available, getting those points and not missing those opportunities. That's why Foley is my star of the week because he, when called upon, he delivered in high pressure situations as he always does. It's why he's the Iceman. It's why the Waratahs won the Super Rugby against the Crusaders. I'm always going to bring it back to that. <laughs> That's why Foley's the star of the week. He, it's what he is known for. He was called upon to do his job. He did his job. He delivered. Australia starts off their tour 1-0. They're that much closer to ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's a lot of good points you've mentioned of that Australian game. I went back and rewatched it. I think... Tate McDermott, you know, when he is on, he is on, and he doesn't often have bad yep. games. I just feel like, yeah, they've been building him to these moments, and I think I yep. think that's your combo. I think that's your one-two punch combo, and as much as you said, I like Gordon, and I thought he, again, for the Waratahs, he's, he was unreal this, this past season. Yeah. Um, but I think McDermott to start off a game and White to finish it with his experience, I think work, works really well. Um, yeah, I was a massive fan of Nick Frost and what, what he got around the park. 18 tackles is never yeah. easy for a lock and a couple of line-out steals to go with it. We've, we're forever talking about your locks, and if he can turn into quite the player, I think there's there's potential there to, to kind of 
stop one of your weaknesses, you know, and you've got this is discussing when we've got Will Scouting coming into the group. So like that's that's a that's a massive thing to yep. take a step in that direction. Um you talk about Hunter Pasami and I know yeah he didn't have his best performance. Um and and we talked about you Crevy and stuff being out, but it seems like he's always you know been out since that Auckland one, uh, Auckland one, the English series, and it's just because you know obviously it's a long injury and we won't see him again for mm. until next year. So you know you kind of think, like you said, I had forgotten about them. Like it feels like Australia, the Wallabies have taken that within their stride. Whereas a team like Scotland, when they lose their two best players, it definitely it seems to hurt them more when it shouldn't because yeah. their two best players were just about, you know, the two players that replaced those two players. So it's, it's an, it was an interesting perspective. A massive win for you lot. I mean, first time in four years you've beaten the Scots in Scott or whatever it was in four attempts. Um, so yeah. that's a massive, like you said, any any win is massive in this area at the moment. And in, in, the, in the most competitive era of international rugby, Anyone is a big win at the moment, so you yep. definitely take that to start off your series going into that French game where we, like we said, we don't know what side they're going to name, and if they if they do take it slightly light, need to have to have that win behind your back is a hundred percent a good thing to have. Um, and I guess I'd like to see Fakedi on the field a bit more. Oh yeah, like in the games that he played in the rugby championship, he was for the for the little experience in the green and gold that he's had, he's he sort of stood out to me. Um, I, I, w- I would like to see him see the field a little bit more. I guess for me as well, like with this tour um, and with Hunter Paisami, like uh, I guess we know the player that he is and how good he is and how good he can be. I think we are still seeing how good Fiketti could be. So I would I would like to see him uh, see the field a bit more. Even even Ikita, we we know how good he is now. I'd like to sort of see a bit more of the exp- exploration of, of some of the... Um, some of the players that are a bit newer into the Wallabies uh, system. Uh, and look, we might not see that against France. Like Scotland, I think you could say, uh, was probably like a dress rehearsal game for the game against France. But into the, the latter half, where we've got uh, Italy, uh, Ireland, Wales, you know, in that Italy game, I think we've already, we said it before, that's going to be probably the time when there's the most switch-ups is that test. Yep. Uh, and maybe the Wales one to to close out the series. But yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more uh, exploration exploration there. Because, um, you know, it's, you can only... Like, it's it can only be good to get these players experience in green and gold because even if you lose the game, you at least see what they can put on the field. You know what you have then. And you know that, okay, we need to focus more on building around these players because these players aren't suitable. Or you see, hey, these guys can really thrive. They add a different element They've got um, great instincts about them, et cetera, et cetera. We can, we'll start to put them into the system a bit more. Yeah, no, definitely, 100% agree. There there were a couple incidents in both of our team's games. Now, the Brody Retallet red card, um, and then, was it the, I forgot his name, I think it was Glenn, the, the Scottish yellow card. Very, very similar incidents where mm. it's a clean out, they've gone in for the clean out, lead with the shoulder, made contact with the head. I mean, there's mm. when you look at both of them, there's not it was Glenn Young. Glenn Young was it? That was Glenn Young. Yeah, sorry if it was last name was Glenn. Uh, yeah, he. When when you look at them, both of them probably side by side, you can make an argument for them being as bad as each other. Um, I think it's and we've we've discussed this on the podcast. I remember we mentioned it with Bundyaki, and I asked, "What does he mean to do there?" I think it's becoming one of the the heightened points. I think we're starting to understand tackle techniques easy because. Yeah. Tackle technique is controllable. Like you go into a tackle 
you've just got to get lower, just got to get lower. When we're going into these rucks, it is so hard to control because the person, the opponent, is already so low. Both of those incidents, the player's bridging over the ball. Now, some will say, well, you can't leave with the shoulder there and you've come too late. This is something that we haven't, you know, we, we, we've been told by World Rugby for so long, we're going to get high tackles out of the game, any hit contact from high tackles out of the game. That's already been two, three, four years now. We're really starting to notice this duo of clean-outs and red cards, or clean-outs and at least yellow cards, and it's becoming a big factor, I think, in rugby. From my perspective, I am so unsure of what they can do because I look there and I look at Brody Retallick's one and I go, yes, it's a card. I understand what World Rugby is. I understand what the ref has to do. It, you can definitely say, you yep. could say it's a red, but... I just, like, the Japanese player, man, just picked him up and pretty much threw him off him. And I was like, to me, it just doesn't sit right still when you're losing a player because of that. I don't know what, I don't know, like, I've sat here and, and, and since that red card and even since seeing the yellow one in um, your guys' game, I don't know if there's a, there's a way to do it without, you know, you just can't lead with that mm. shoulder. I, I just really haven't been able to find, find another way around it. Yeah, I, I will say I watching uh, part of the Wallabies game, the the referee in the game, um, Luke Pierce. Uh, even though I know there's a lot of people unhappy with his decision to not send off Glenn Young, and I and you know understandable. You see, we've seen now two other examples of that with the Bundiaki and then Brody Retallick of this is a red card. I do sometimes think there is over refereeing of games with those things and he provided a good example of that with um late in the game hunter paisami went to intercept a ball it fell to the ground now we've seen in previous test series particularly australia versus england that's almost an automatic yellow i really like the review process they did for this knockdown where they said look yeah he's going for the ball but he's knocked it he's he's knocked it on knocked it down it's a penalty but it's not a yellow card because we could see that there was a supporting player behind him. So that way, it's not a yellow card because it wouldn't have been a scoring situation or a big play situation because there was other defenders in there. They're taking in those other circumstances, those sort of common sense circumstances. And it's like, that's a great thing to to look at and to to, to take into consideration. I really like the way that they, they refereed that decision where it's like, yeah, fair enough. Penalty, sure. I mean... Even then, argue, I would say still arguably, it just, should just be a knock-on, right? Because he's trying to go for an intercept of the ball. But I, I get I get why it's a penalty as well. I'll take the penalty over a yellow card, yeah. basically. If we've got to step it down from yellow card to penalty, I'll take it, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, particularly situations like that where it is, as Arki said, what am I supposed to do there? How, am I, how are you supposed to play it? N- not then sending them off for, for a red... I, yeah, I don't. It's a tough one because we want to eliminate the head contact, but at the same time, you need to be able to to clear out a ruck. Exactly. Uh, you need to be able, or you need to be able to clear out before a ruck's formed, and it's hard to know what to do. Like, as you, I think you said it really well, uh, you know, tackling it's easy to have the technique there because at the end of the day, to tackle someone, they they're going to be upright, uh, or, or relatively upright. You could always sort of get lower than them because you don't need to keep running. You just need to stop them from running. However, when you're trying to clear someone out, they're already 
on the ground, really. They yeah. can get really, really low. You're the one that's then moving forward that needs momentum to shift someone. So how are you supposed to get under them if they don't need to keep moving, right? What are you supposed to do there? How is that supposed to work? I don't know. Yeah. I, d- I don't have the answers. Um, yeah, I... I always hate seeing you. Always hate seeing cards, especially red cards, where a player's out for the whole, whole game, right? Um, and then you're always playing with a man down. Yeah. Um, I think that takes away from takes away from the quality of the game. Uh, the way and the way I always yeah, kind of I see just, it. I don't have the I don't have the answer. It's yeah. it's so hard because, let's say, and when you're thinking about a red card offence, uh, the ref isn't obviously taking this into account, but I take it into account. If this happened in the first minute of a rugby world or rugby world cup final, would I be happy that that red card has taken place? If you know what I mean. So, like, I look at the Bundyaki one or even the Brodie Retallick, and I'm like, man, to tell me that you're gonna first minute in a rugby world cup final send someone off for that—that doesn't sit right. Like for seventy-nine minutes of a game, someone being there, you throw a punch here. Good riddance, if you know what I mean. You do something dirty, I get it. That's yep. I can sit here and go, yep, you deserve to be in the bin, you mate. You had a brain explosion. That wasn't a Brody Retallick brain explosion. You know you know what I mean? It was just, yeah, it just it's hard. It is so hard at the moment, and I'm going to put the question out to our followers, to anyone out there. If, if you have an idea, if you know how do we – is it just that, okay, now they've got to go in and... Because even, even going in for the role, if you end up in the wrong position with the role, it's now a neck roll and it's like, what can we do to stop the head contact in a ruck but not increase red cards or have to change yep. rugby to a whole point where we're just doing a play the ball and it's late now? So if you know what I mean, yep. like what can we do, followers out there? Anyone... I'll take any ideas for a hundred dollars. <laughs> the best idea, um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Like I am. I'm like, it's not a bad call. I don't want to say it was a bad call by the referee because it wasn't. But I don't know how we can improve on this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's. I know what you mean. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. And as, as I said, we don't have the solution here, but we need to put the solution out there. Uh, we need to put the problem out there for for it to be discussed. And it's good that it is being discussed. Innovation is a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, especially when it's innovation around player safety, but also making the, you know, keeping the game entertaining for people to watch, right? Uh, and I know there's a lot of there's the crowd out there that is, you know, oh, innovation for innovation's sake is bad, and for, for to some degree. I agree with that, but it's that's not applicable to this situation, right? Yeah. There needs to be some sort of so, sort of change here. Um, but look, what it comes down to at the end of the day is that with those, you know, both of our teams got their first win um, of their of their tour. Although I guess the New Zealand game doesn't really count as part of the tour, but whatever, they they're not playing a New Zealand tour, exactly. right? Uh, one and so Southern Hemisphere. Uh, the Anzac Brigade. Yep. Two O. Two O. Start baby. out. So, yeah, this is the this is probably the only time we'll both be happy for each other's team success. <laughs> yeah, the, on the Northern Tour is the only time. Um, yeah, I'd like you to get a win, or if you're winning us, even I mean, it's somewhat in the Rugby Championship. It depends on depends the on situations. Right? Yeah, I'll I'll support the yeah. Wallabies if it means South Africa lose and we win the Rugby Championship. Yeah, exactly. The situations like that. Whereas this whole tour, it'll be wholehearted support behind uh, both teams. Yeah. So up the NZs, um, up the NZs. Yeah, 
the the only only exception to that was I will have to say, and this is where I'm saying the Japan game doesn't count as part of the tour. Was I was hoping Japan would get a win there more for Japan than Against, being yeah. anti New Zealand, if you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and I, that's not part of the tour. Now when you're going into all these other games, hundred percent behind the All Blacks. Yeah. Um, yeah. 100% behind the Wallabies, it hurts to say, but I yeah. I don't think I'd ever say that, but I am, because I, yeah. I'm i so on this revenge tour together um, that mm-hmm. I really hope that the Northern Hemisphere crumbles and we come back 9-0. and And as we tick over the wins, we'll, yeah. we'll be letting everyone know, um, because I'm going to remember that man's comment, oh, the Northern Hemisphere are getting good. We'll see, we'll see. Um, saying that, saying this, this duo, me and you, obviously coming together to support yeah. each other in this time, uh, red cards and the ruck. I thought let's go through some of the best duos in rugby history. Now I've written yeah. down a few. I'll, if you've got any, let me know. But I'd start off with yeah. uh, Hooper and Pocock, the best duo yep. of number sevens. If you could have two number sevens on the field, I've, I legitimately think the Wallabies should have tried this. Is actually taking out yeah. the number eight position and just had two sevens in the flank during the scrum time. I think that would have been a great watch <laughs> because that's exactly what you needed. Like it was two yeah. sevens, and you just unfortunately didn't really have. A position for the other seven, but two of the best yeah. sevens on the park at the same time is incredible. Yeah, both amazing players and both uh, incredible figures in Australia, both on and off the field. Hooper recently with his uh, mini sabbatical for mental health reasons, and then Pocock obviously down in the Australian Senate uh, with uh, you know issues affecting Australia beyond rugby. So Definitely. yeah, both uh, inspirational on and off the field as well. So. Uh, they're pretty high up there for for duos for me. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, a couple of duos that are high up there for me are obviously the Nono and Smith, <laughs> uh, the yeah. famous All Black centres who played. I think it was just about hundred games together. Like it was something ridiculous. Um, I think it was the most combo games combination for a centre pairing ever. Uh, was Nono and Smith uh, and Carter and McCaw now. Me and Carter, me, myself, Carter and McCaw have an up and down relationship because every time they wear the black jersey, they're two of my most favourite rugby players in the world. Every time they wear a red and black jersey, I couldn't despise yeah. two players any more than it was Carter and McCaw. But that was a duo that wherever they went, greatness followed, it seemed. Um, so that was a duo. Uh, another duo I've got is Bucky's Bofa and being dirty. Have you seen a dirty <laughs> rugby player on the field? I don't know if I have. I would never obviously say this to this face because he scares mm. the living bedeevies out of me, but um, that was one I thought was a great great duo. Um, and then the last duo I've got written down is Brian Lima and folding opponents, uh, obviously known as the Samoan hitman, uh, Brian Lima, who loves to fold an opponent. Uh, any duos that, mm. that I've, I've missed out that you... That you particularly like, my friend? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, I guess, like, this is more just for uh, my nostalgia more than anything else, uh, really. And you know, I'm going to bring it back to the Bernard Foley and a game winning kick. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Bernard Foley and a game winning kick. Uh... The Iceman himself. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, He's he's a clutch player. He's just he's just clutch. Um, no, I actually quite like uh, the the combination uh, within that squad of um, Adam Ashley Cooper and Rob Horn in the centres. I thought that was a 
underrated part of that Waratahs team. You know, a lot of attention was paid to uh, Israel Folau in yep. the in the fullback position, right? And rightfully so. He was a great player. However, I think that center pairing was just uh, exceptional during that season and really set up a lot for uh, for the outside backs, you know, for the likes of... Um, uh, of Falau for the likes of uh, Nayavoro. Uh it's yeah it was it, they, they were there were two great players I love Adam Ashley Cooper he's one of my favorite Australian players of all time I don't know if you put them up there on on sort of all-time Jewish particularly when you're looking at the international but when you're looking at Super Rugby that 2014 Waratahs <laughs> team was on a on another level on another level uh, yeah I, I like that I like a little bit of hometown you want to know uh, Yep. You want to know uh, int- some, something interesting about that 2014 uh, Waratahs team? Share it with me, my friend. Both both Dave Parecki and Andrew Callaway were on that team. Wow, that's an interesting yeah. fact. I'll have to do yeah. some photo searching and see if I can yeah. find them. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they played very much, but no. they were on the team. Wow. Yeah, uh, my favorite player, though, from that team is... Uh, is the only uh, no sorry is one of two non-Australians in that team, and that's Jacques Potgieter, uh, yeah. uh, big Saffa yeah. second rower. Yeah. Just oh, love that man. He brought <laughs> such a great energy to the Waratahs. He did, he did. Uh, and wouldn't you love to have a jersey with his name on the back? I would have loved to have <laughs> a jersey with Jacques Potgieter's name on the back. I would love to have a jersey with Adam Ashley Cooper's name on the back. AAC, you know, yeah. amazing. Michael Hooper, you know, a jersey with the Hooper on the back would be I- iconic, I think. Now, I don't want to say that we discussed this in one of our podcasts recently about, because there was numbers on the back of, random numbers mm. on the back of a rugby league team's jersey, and I said you need at least names, and we've already you know, discuss it. If you have yeah. names on the back, it's a selling point. Now, rugby unions, I don't think, will ever go into the facet of what rugby league has with random numbers and you can just choose your number. I think it'll always be mm. 1 to 24. Oh, I say always be 1 to 23. I remember the days when it was 1 to 22 and your halfback were 20 and that never happens anymore. But, yes, 1 to 23. Yeah. But the English uh, team, I know, is wearing jerseys with names on their back coming up for this weekend. Um, mm. Which I think is a fantastic idea. I think it's. I love the idea. There are the you know again the critics that will say, you know, and and a lot of people say it within rugby circles. You know, you're just renting the jersey, you're just borrowing it. It's not yours to own. But when you've got it and it's yours, it is for that moment. It is yours, and I think it's a, a big respect to put your name on the back. And I think it'll be awesome. There'll be a lot of kids were running around with you know. Farrell on the back of theirs or Laws or Otoje on the back. And I think it's just another selling point that we've said, you know, you want to sell more jerseys, that's a really good way of doing it. Yeah, I get what the the sort of um, tradition is of, you know, you don't own that jersey, uh, you're just renting it uh, for a bit. And I get that's uh, really sort of, I think, is meant to impart some history down to the players to have, you know, to play for something that little bit extra, like... Uh, you know, All Blacks number, uh, All Blacks flankers, uh, anyone that puts on Richie McCaw's jersey is always good. That that jersey belongs to Richie, Richie, McCaw. Richie McCaw and all the fantastic players that have gone before him. Uh, you know, you look at uh, number nine for Australia, that is a George Gregan jersey, yep. basically. Like, these are my, probably most iconic uh, halfback for the Wallabies. You know, it's... I think even now, Michael Hooper's made the, the seven jersey his for the Wallabies as well. So... I get that as well. However, uh, 
I think that's that. I think that that still can happen, and also have names on the back of jerseys and have those be marketable, right? Yep. I mean, that is such a huge resource potential for rugby, right? When you look at sports like uh, your NBA, uh, you uh, soccer, uh, NFL particularly, right? Yep. And, and NFL is, I think, a great example because they've got. Uh, retired numbers for those exceptional players. Now that's not going to happen for for rugby because we have our positions and that's the numbers that you have. And I think we've seen what's happened with rugby league and this rugby league World Cup and the Kangaroos. They're having numbers all over the place, representing the you know ranking them on their years of service to the Kangaroos and whatnot. And what a joke that is, yep. really. Like that's just confusing as all hell. Uh, so you're not going to retire numbers for rugby, but you can see in the NFL the importance of jersey numbers and how people respect those numbers, even um, when they then adopt the the jersey themselves. A great example is the number 88 for the Dallas Cowboys, yep. right? Iconic wide receivers from there: Drew Pearson, Michael Irvin, Des Bryant, and now C.D. Lamb, and they even have a uh, they've had like a couple of YouTube videos together, the 88 club where they talked about the Jersey and what that means and how it made them play harder as well. They all had their names on the back of the jerseys. It doesn't take anything away from that number 88 Jersey that other players have uh, put that Jersey on. So I think there is that you can have it. You can still have the respect for the history of the Jersey and put the player names on it. And I think it would only be good for rugby. Right? And as well, for your casual fans, how much easier is it to see? Like a lot of people know the name Michael Hooper. A lot of casual viewers of rugby might not know what he looks like if they don't watch all that often. But you see a jersey with the name Hooper on the back. Oh, okay, that's Michael Hooper, right? Yep. And you don't have to explain to people like, oh, who is that running in number twelve? And when you're looking at teams that you don't normally play, like when Australia plays against a Scotland or a Wales, or in when we're coming up to this World Cup, uh, Australia is the same pool as uh, Fiji and Georgia as well. And then I looked into the who the, the qualifying teams are. It's uh, Kenya, Portugal, USA, and Hong Kong. Yep. So, you know, none of those regularly play rugby. Not going to know all the players in those teams. It gives you that much more accessibility to the game. And I could say from having commentated rugby games as well, it would make it so much easier on the commentators <laughs> to have names on the back of the jerseys, right? Rather than having to look at a team list uh, the whole time if you're not familiar with the whole team. It's much easier to commentate a game where you know one of the teams uh, because then that team, you just, okay, I know who what that player looks like. But when you're looking at the opposition, you're like, I've got no idea who this guy is, right? Yeah. And for the commentators for the rugby, upcoming Rugby World Cup, none of them are going to have covered all of these teams before, right? It is a massive challenge, yep. right? And now I'm not, not that commentators need any sympathy or anything like that, but I think overall it opens up accessibility for the game. It opens up marketing and uh, merchandise sales, uh, and it adds a little bit of extra legacy for the players. I don't know. For me, uh, I feel like sometimes rugby is too tradition bound and i know i said before innovation for innovation's sake isn't necessarily a good thing in this case i think it's innovation for positive reasons that will make positive changes to rugby not just oh because it's something that other people do i think there's reasons behind why other people do it it works do it uh totally agree with all the points you've just said there my friend um so hopefully yeah we see more teams picking it up uh, yep. Talking earlier in the podcast, I know we said how great it was and a spectacle of a close game from your first or 
fourth ranked team to your tenth ranked team. Um, the women's quarterfinals were quite the opposite mm. of that. Uh, 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 four quite large victories. So we had France first up to defeat Italy 39-3. The Black Ferns defeat Wales 55-3. The Wallaroos uh, World Cup come to a crashing end against England 41-5. And Canada yep. beat USA for the second time in a week 32-11 to set up the semi-finals of Canada versus England and the Black Ferns versus France. How do you feel now the uh, Wallaroos World Cup campaign is over? Any debrief, any thoughts for you, mate? Uh, look, it's it's tough because, um, and again, I think rugby needs to learn from NRL here, where NRL has just announced a massive deal with Westpac, where Westpac is going to be the game ball sponsor for the NRL and the NRLW. Now, I think the, the broadcast around the Women's World Cup has been good from from Stan, from the, from the streaming service, but I think the... Obviously, the the Wallaroos are semi-professional, yep. right? They're not paid like the the English team is um, or the French team is, which and we clearly saw the difference in, in talent levels there. Uh, even the even the Black Ferns, um, they're they're semi-professional, I believe, but they are so talented that they're able to sort of uh, they're fully make fully it professional. To be fair, they are fully professional. They're the highest paid players. Okay, well, so they you can tell the Black Ferns are. Yep. They're paid more than well, there you go. than the English team. So yeah, it's the the four yep. teams you get have left all have fully yeah. pretty. Canada are uh, the highest of semi pros of high semi pros, mm. but yeah, you got four fully paid players. Oh well, so. okay, that I, I, that makes me feel a little bit better yeah. about the Wallaroos then. Um, yeah, look, I you could you could see that 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 well, even highlight my point even further. You can see the difference that being professional uh, makes. And I think there's a growing market uh you know there's a lot of people that are interested in watching the women's game because of the level of skill involved there um and i think honestly you get to see a little bit <sighs> the game's a bit more free-flowing it's not as decided by i guess sort of penalties and uh mistakes and ill-discipline like the the men's game is sometimes um and yeah look just you know pay the ladies right it's pay the ladies that, you know pay the pay ladies the... <laughs> that's it at the end of the day, you know, just pay pay the ladies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it, it shows, you know, the final four teams, like you were just saying, three of them are 100% fully paid players. Canada, I think, are still semi-pro, um, but mm. have a very decent team. So, And this is their top four teams. So we've, we've come to get to the World Cup. We expected um, that these four teams would make it through, and they have. We've got a hell of a showdown now. New Zealand on home soil against the French. The French did us over yep. the last time we toured at the end of last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I feel like we've built really well, and the way we put Wales to a uh, to the sword was, um, you know, fantastic. So mm. it'll be a good game. And then Canada, you expect England to win that one, but you never know what can happen. Um, Canada have shown they have some strength. Whoever wins, it's going to be a fantastic final, um, and I can yep. guarantee you I will be watching the final as well. I can tell you that because um, I've been, yeah, Thoroughly enjoying this uh, Women's World Cup, and I will be watching the uh, New Zealand versus France and then the final 100%. Now, let's talk about the upcoming games for the international rugby. Um, coming up Saturday morning, so Saturday morning, yeah, Friday night over in 
um, Europe. It is Ireland A versus the New Zealand XV, which I think will be a very interesting game just with the history of these two teams. Obviously, Ireland A came over and played Mouldy, um, New Zealand Mouldy when they were in New Zealand and now playing the New Zealand XC. This is going to be an interesting to see the depth of both teams and tested there for a yeah. um, Saturday morning. Then we've got Scotland bouncing back against, or trying to bounce back against Fiji, Italy against Samoa, Wales against New Zealand, Ireland against South Africa, uh, France against Australia, England against Argentina. Uh, they get the big games, should I say? There's also some smaller yeah. teams, but yeah. So obviously, you're taking on France, your team, the Wallabies, in the 7 a.m. game. Um, thoughts, beliefs? Do you think you have the ability to do it? Are you actually going to be able to follow up your your aunt, your boys? Are they? Oh, look, this is the thing. Is what I said before. The Wallabies have got the ability, right? It's nothing to do with ability. I think it's to do with discipline and sometimes to do with effort. Mostly, though, to do with discipline. Yep. So have they got the ability to do it? Absolutely. Have they got the discipline to do it? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> they nearly lost that game against Scotland from an ill-disciplined play from Taniela Tupo giving away that penalty at the end. Like, I could see the thoughts, but... Look, if it seems like it's too easy, it probably is too easy. So, uh, yeah, they've got the talent for sure. We saw that last year in the in the French Tour uh, here, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, sure, France didn't have all the best players, but whatever. Australia's got the talent to do it. It's it's the discipline, effort, and coaching, which I question. Yeah. But, look, it's revenge tour. They've got everything to play for. Uh, ben and Jerry's ice cream. So, yeah. Up the Anzacs, yep. I, 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 exactly right. If there was ever a time to pick off France, I think it's the first game up. So, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be surprised if Australia can actually do the French. I think the All Blacks do Wales. Uh, we did that last year when we played yep. them first up. Um, but to say I'm going in overly confident, probably not right. I think we'll see a stronger team come out. Our line-out was woeful. Um so Sam Whitelock being back will be a, a massive pickup. Um, mm. Also, Sam Kane being out means we get a good look at Dalton Papali'i, or even potentially, which I would like to see, is a combo of uh, Adi Savir at seven and uh, Hoskins Satutu at eight. I would love to see Adi move back into that seven jersey just just to see. But I, I mean, yeah, that's going to be the big thing when the teams get named and we mm. can sit there and go, "Wow, okay, this is." This is this is the first real week, you know. You had just the Scotland, Australia, yeah. and New Zealand, but this is a, this feels like and, to a time. Yeah, and on that as well, we talked about last week, like the All Blacks team being named, and we talked about how the New Zealand Super Rugby teams were going to be named. I kept my eye out for when the Wallabies team was named. It was at ten o'clock at night, like Australian time. No. Now get it because they've got to base it off the off the you know when because they're over they were over in Scotland, yeah. like base it off when Rennie got up that morning and named the team. It's still 10 p.m. at night, no fanfare whatsoever. Like, at least, like, I don't know. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Either do it the night before. I think you do it the night before. Rennie's going to bed right before he goes to bed, writes down the team list so that when the Australians wake up, we all see, oh, there's a team list. Let's have a discussion about it all day. And the next morning, Rennie can get up on his podium and talk through his team list and discuss it that way. And you've had a whole day of discussion about the, the Wallabies at the, you know, water cooler moments where you're at the office and people say, hey, see the Wallabies team named this morning? You know, Nick Frost and Caden Neville at the that's, one position. Yeah, Caden Dermott starting at nine. Mental. That is 10 mental. 10 p.m. at night, like a tweet in a social media post. It's like, 
what the fuck's going on? That's crazy because that's that was like the talk of rugby in New Zealand was you know Roger Tuivasa-Sheck starting you know like this happening. Uh, Stephen put a fetter at the back like it's yeah uh, Australian rugby. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because you guys are your own worst enemy sometimes. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. You know like you can sit there yep. and say the All Blacks beat you for twenty straight years, but sometimes you are your worst enemy. All right, just yep. be better. All right. Sometimes we're our worst enemies. Sometimes it's a French referee is our worst enemy. <laughs> Sometimes you get ice cream if you win enough games. Um, exactly right. Yeah, I. Uh, it'll be really interesting. Once teams get named, make sure you're following us on Instagram, uh, TikTok, all the good stuff to you know get out up to date on the moment, on the buzz, uh, updates for. Right. And arguably uh, better graphically designed team lists than some of the social some of the media, social media posts. Put out there. <laughs> I try, um, but yeah, I don't. I think that's that's all for for the rugby world at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think we I think we covered everything. I think there's nothing out there that we possibly didn't. Did talk you about. did you like did you like my video of uh, of the Blair Kingston the the miss kick and I uh, yeah I linked I, I put. Uh, Happy Gilmore. I thought that was that had to be perfect going with it. Yep. Just the it was great. <laughs> and then the twenty Happy Gilmore twenty five year anniversary. It just it lined up so oh, well. Yeah. Unlike Kinghorn's kick, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to leave it. Uh, we will be back again next week to wrap up all of these games, wrap up the semifinals for the Women's World Cup. Um, maybe try and get some questions in from you guys as well to answer. Uh, I may put that out for questions for some podcasts so we can answer because I want to ask you the question about what we do with these breakdowns and red cards. So if I'm going to ask you a question, we'll, we'll, we'll accept some questions, won't we, Husey? Um, and yep. we will go from there. But for now, thank you for joining us on this podcast. We will talk to you next time. See you. Peace.